Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adam. I have a big problem with Florida coach Billy Napier, and I want to kind of walk you through this. The concern that I have for the Georgia-Florida rivalry, the role that I believe that Napier is playing and kind of watering this down a little bit, and the demand that I have for the team that's the little brother in this rivalry, Florida, at least right now, to get their act together and start making this feel fun again because we need some real juice in the Georgia-Florida rivalry. And right now, Billy Napier, the Florida coach, who is as dull as dishwater, he's just not quite getting that done for me here at the moment. Let's talk about this. Now, quick history lesson. There was a time not all that long ago, while for the most part Georgia was still winning every year in the Georgia-Florida rivalry, that the game itself felt like it had a lot of juice. And a lot of that was because Dan Mullen, the Florida coach at the time, was this media darling. And the caricature that got drawn was is that, well, Kirby Smart may be the better recruiter, but therefore Dan Mullen must be the better in-game tactician. And that Kirby's just some sort of caveman, you know, ah, football recruiting, and like that's all Kirby Smart was capable of doing. But Dan Mullen was some sort of diabolical genius. And the logical fallacy that people kind of bought into was, well, if he's not a good recruiter, then he must be a brilliant tactician. You know what I'm saying? Like, otherwise he wouldn't have the job. So, People, I think, inflated Dan Mullen's in-game coaching abilities because he was such a bad recruiter that people assumed, well, he wouldn't have gotten hired at Florida if he wasn't good at something. So therefore, if it's not recruiting, then he must be amazing at this other thing over here, which is drawing up plays. And we've obviously you know, gone through this over the years, all the people that embarrassed themselves with the praise they heaped on Dan Mullen to ultimately have all that proved to be total nonsense but nonetheless there was a time in which florida appeared to be a program on the rise gators fans certainly thought it was uh florida thought it was going to be working to become georgia's equal uh georgia was obviously having great success and for those of us that kind of lived through a previous era when it was florida that had the most success in this rivalry all of this was a ton of fun and it was the kind of thing that had reverberations outside just dog nation or whatever you know, uh, rock Florida fans live under uh, for most of their lives. This is this is something that had reverberations outside and beyond just the boundaries of this rivalry. In fact, this is a clip I've played for you before. If you want to go back to the off season of 2021, uh, Paul Feinbaum was on a radio interview on the Birmingham radio station WJOX, and he was talking about how the 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 landscape in the SEC had changed, and that Auburn Alabama, the rivalry known as the Iron Bowl wasn't the number one rivalry in this league anymore in the eyes of Paul Feinbaum at that particular time Georgia Florida had overtaken the Iron Bowl as the SEC's most intense rivalry this is only a couple of years ago this is what Paul Feinbaum said about the Georgia Florida rivalry at the time Alabama Auburn is no longer really the driving rivalry I think in 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 the Southeastern Conference uh because Everyone understands the reality of it. Nick Saban is going to, you know, win 92.3% of the games or whatever. On on my program, which, you know, is is a more of a SEC-centric show, if I want to just drop uh, some blood into the water and and see sharks circling, it's, it's about Georgia or Florida. And it's vicious. 
Paul Feinbaum just two years ago saying Georgia, Florida is vicious. Now, let me ask you a question. Does Georgia, Florida feel vicious right now? And the truth is there have been some moments in the last couple of games, all, of course, Georgia wins 2021 and 2022. There have been some moments during the game in which the game was actually competitive. But while the game was taking place or or in the lead-up to the game, has it felt vicious? Now, some of that's because Dan Mullen ultimately proved to be a complete and total media creation and a total fraud as a coach playing at Kirby Smart's level. But even in Billy Napier's first year last year or moving into his second chance against Georgia here this year, does Georgia-Florida feel vicious here right now? Um, if anything, Georgia fans are hoping it's another vicious beatdown. That's what you're hoping for. Florida fans are hoping for the chance to pull the upset. But beyond just both sides hoping their team wins the game, I'm talking about the current nature of the rivalry. Does it feel vicious? I mean, let's check in on Kirby Smart here this week. Now, Kirby, of course, is famous for having lots of respect for for everybody. Uh, that's obviously true. But listening to him talk about Billy Napier here this week, Hard to imagine the same level of viciousness that Paul Feinbaum just two years ago said that he sees with the Georgia-Florida rivalry still exists right now. Listen to uh, Kirby Smart talking about Billy Napier yesterday. This doesn't sound very vicious to me. Here's Kirby. A lot of respect for Billy. I always uh, have um, liked Billy a lot. He does a really good job um, as a football coach, as a man, person. Worked on the staff with him. Uh, admire him and the way he coaches and goes about things. He's very detail-oriented. Um, no, no, you know, stone left unturned, and they play that way. And uh, got a lot of respect for the way they play, and uh, know a lot of guys on their staff. Uh, it'll be a physical game; it always is. I know our kids will uh, be looking forward to it. So, listen, Kirby would probably say some version of that, no matter who the coach was on the other side of the field. But the point is, when he's saying those things about Billy Napier, it just sort of seems more believable. In other words. If you're saying that about, you know, the previous coach, Dan Mullen, or perhaps when, like, say, Gus Malzahn's at Auburn or something like that, Kirby may give me the whole, like, oh, I got a lot of respect for him type chatter. And deep down, we're like, no, you don't. You may say that, but that's not really true. But when you say those things about Billy Napier, you know, most Georgia fans are like, yeah, that's probably true. And plus, there's an, you know, an attitude there of Kirby says, what is it that he says? That um, he's detail-oriented. He leaves no stone unturned. Listen, I'm not saying those are bad traits, but those are typically personality traits we associate more with like an accountant than a football coach. You know, someone, hey, listen, (laughs) detail-oriented leaves no stone unturned. That's a pretty good person to like go through some Excel spreadsheets, but does that fit the persona of what you want from an SEC football coach right now? So the point that I'm getting to is, is that Georgia-Florida as a rivalry matters to me. And as we're moving into like a whole new landscape in the SEC where there's a lot of change, and coincidentally, there's also about to be a lot of change to this rivalry. Whether the game remains in Jacksonville or not, the stadium is going to be different. The rest of the schedule around Georgia and Florida is going to be different. This won't be a showdown for the SEC East anymore because moving forward in future years, there will be no SEC East. And as all this change takes place, especially with the kind of uncertain leadership right now being driven by a pretty, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty skeptical of ESPN and its direction that might be moving the uh, moving the SEC. With all that uncertainty, 
it's really important to me that as the SEC moves into this new era, that Georgia-Florida remains a great rivalry. That Georgia's not just a great team and beating up on the lousy, stinking Gators, but that the rivalry remains great because it's fun to have a hated rival. But right now, Florida's just not doing enough to make this a rivalry. Billy Napier's not doing enough to make this a rivalry because Billy Napier's just too boring. Billy Napier is just uninteresting. And yeah, he's won some recruiting battles and things like that. But does anybody for one second think that anyone's going to Florida because they're moved by the cult of personality around Billy Napier, whose literal only claim to fame is that he looks like the Billy Bob Thornton character in the movie uh, Sling Blade? Does anybody think anyone's coming to Florida because of Billy Napier? No, it's obviously because of some sort of NIL war chest or whatever else. And if you can't come up with the money, the player doesn't come. See Jaden Rashada from a year ago. That, that none of the stuff that's happening for Florida from recruiting standpoint is happening because of Billy Napier because Billy Napier is totally anonymous he is literally uh invisible even in plain sight that's just what's going on and if you don't believe me on this let me prove one more thing to you that ultimately the previous coach of Florida Dan Mullen as much of a clown as he is as much of a you know walking punchline as he was easy punching bag for Georgia and for Georgia fans Dan Mullen, even what, two years removed from being the Florida coach, is still more interesting than Billy Napier. I mean, Mullen this week got the ire of Georgia fans up. I saw multiple kind of what you might call like blog sites, whatever else, multiple blog sites making a big deal about the fact that Mullen, who's now an analyst working on ESPN, puts out his rankings on Twitter and Georgia fans were furious at Dan Mullen this week let me show you this on the screen Mullen puts out his uh, weekly top 10 I'm going to show you the top eight he's got Ohio State first Florida State second Michigan third Washington fourth Oklahoma fifth he's got the two-time undefeated national champion Georgia ranked sixth in his rankings out of Texas at seven and Oregon at eight and Georgia fans were beside themselves in anger about the fact that Dan Mullen would dare rank Georgia number six. Now, is that trolling? Probably so. Is that attention-seeking? Probably so. But at least it's interesting. At least Dan Mullen is doing something to sort of stir the pot with Georgia fans. Mullen's presence when he was the Florida coach, at least he helped make what Paul Feinbaum described as a vicious rivalry. By comparison, Billy Napier is a couch. He's a piece of furniture. He is literally uninteresting in, in every facet. So Dan Mullen may be a, a clown, but at least he kind of gets some attention. At least he kind of stirs the pot there a little bit. Billy Napier does no such thing. So I think the responsibility rests with Napier. As the SEC kind of moves into a new era, man, I really still want Georgia-Florida as a rivalry to matter. But the bad guy in the rivalry, the little brother in the rivalry, the team that's getting its teeth kicked in the rivalry, they got to do something to stir it up. Talk a little trash. I mean, gosh knows, Florida, I mean, has never needed uh – no one's to talk more unrequited, you know, trash than Florida has. No one's no one's written checks with their mouth. They could not cash more so than Florida. Why not do some of that kind of stuff, you know, here right now? Uh, clearly, the Dan Mullen teams did. That made the rivalry more fun. Right now, Billy Napier is the kind of guy when Kirby Smart says got a lot of respect for his attention to detail, his willingness to leave no stone unturned. Yeah, it sort of seems right. You know, Billy Napier sort of, you know, operates as, you know, any sort of, you know, corporate drone uh, seemingly would. Uh, he just sort of seems to be that kind of guy. At least Dan Mullen had a personality. He may have been silly, but at least he got your attention. Right now, Billy Napier's not getting anything from Georgia fans, and I believe the rivalry is suffering. Now, 
because of it. Now, let me switch gears to and talk about this here for a moment. Completely different coach in a completely different part of the country, which seemingly has nothing to do with Georgia, gave Georgia a pretty nice compliment yesterday. This was shared by, it's like Huskers 247. I don't know if that's like the 24-7 page that's the Huskers, I'm assuming that it is, uh, for Nebraska, whatever else. But uh, Matt Rule, the Nebraska coach, who I guess the only times he's even crossed path with Georgia was probably what, the 2019 Sugar Bowl when his Baylor team played Georgia. But he was talking about the way in which Nebraska practices right now and the compliment that NFL scouts have given his team and his players for how hard they practice. And in talking about that, uh, uh, Rule says, while we're great at practicing, we're obviously not the best practicing team that's out there. And he went on to talk about how well Georgia practices and how much the 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 intensity of Georgia practices is kind of on the mind of of Nebraska as they go through their pace each week. There's like some music underneath this. I didn't put the music on this, but I did want to play the clip for you. Matt Rule giving a very interesting compliment to Georgia. This is actually just really cool. Here is the Nebraska coach praising UGA for being the team in college football that undoubtedly, unquestionably practices harder and better than anybody else. Here's Matt Rule. One scout come in and said, man, you guys are the second hardest practicing team I've seen in college football. Um, and I, I had him tell the team that, right? Because I think sometimes they look at me like, why are we practicing so hard? <laughs> well, you know what? When a guy comes up and it's going to be two names, and he looks at a guy from University of Nebraska late or as a free agent, he knows, hey, these guys know how to practice. So, Did you that he said you were the second hardest? No, I knew who the first team is, and we'll catch him. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll catch him. But uh, uh, it's University of Georgia. Yeah, and that doesn't mean Alabama's not ahead. I'm not, that's going to go viral. I'm going to have all these fan bases yelling at me. I'm just saying what another person said of the teams he's seen. And I, but I know how Georgia practices. And, that's, you know, it's been great to have MJ here to tell our guys, like, hey, you know, on Thursdays when we come out, guys, in baseball caps and we walk through, they're in shoulder pads and helmets. So this whole, like, coach, you know, uh, got, you know coach, like, you know, we're a little beat up. Yeah, you know, that's, there's, a cost. there's a cost to doing things that you haven't ever done before. And it's it's practice, man. The MJ that he's referencing there is MJ Sherman, the former Georgia outside linebacker, is now part of the Nebraska program. And Nebraska, who will never play Georgia, at least not anymore, uh, for, for the foreseeable future, who has really no reason to be thinking about Georgia, they are still talking about Georgia, apparently, during their practices. MJ Sherman saying, gosh, you would not believe how hard we practice back at UGA. Uh, Matt Rule taking in a badge of honor that NFL scouts are telling him we practice harder and better than anybody but Georgia. Right now, Georgia is seemingly an unobtainable goal for us now. He says eventually we'll aspire to be that good. But right now, we're not worried about being a better practicers than Georgia is. We're just proud to be practicing in a higher quality than anybody else is. Tougher, more intense practices than anybody else. And eventually, we'll try to get to Georgia, kind of the highest peak on that mountain. And if you're a UGA fan, you should take that as uh, a sense of pride. And if you're a Georgia coach or player, you better believe you take that as a sense of pride. That is how hard Georgia apparently works on a weekly basis. Now, here's why that's relevant. Because Georgia's had two weeks to get ready for this game against Florida. And not only does Georgia have the better talent than Florida, Georgia, according to Matt Rule, backing up what we all believe we see with our own eyes as well, makes better use of its time getting ready for its games. So Florida's had two weeks to get ready for Georgia. Georgia's had two weeks to get ready for Florida. Not only does Georgia have the better players, but it's also more committed to getting the most out of its practices there as well. So when you talk about the whole idea of go for three and 23 
or what we said yesterday, a very dramatic stretch of games coming up for Georgia with the lousy stinking Gators on Saturday, ranked opponents in the weeks after that. Georgia trying to put a streak together of uh, dominance at the number one spot in the AP poll, unlike almost anything we've ever seen in the history of college football. How do they get there? Because of how hard they practice. And that's the kind of thing that is just not easily copied. You know, if you've got a gimmick offense, someone can watch your film and do what you do. If you've got, you know, a fun, you know, gimmick on the sideline, turnover chain or whatever the thing like that, people can copy and do what you do. This is not easy to copy because it takes a level of commitment that most players aren't willing to aren't willing to to commit to. But Georgia players have been willing to make that commitment and the success they've enjoyed is the reward they deserve for that. So when you talk about how Georgia can get it done the rest of this season, it's that commitment to great practices that that it's not just us talking about them. It's people hundreds of miles away who have no relationship to Georgia. They're talking about that there as well. And that's what Georgia has going for it the rest of this season and beyond. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Happy to have you with us. No matter how you get to us, live on video, we start 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. across all video platforms after that, and then radio on app and sports radio 960 the ref podcast across every podcast platform there as well just really really happy to have you as a part of our program today and thankful that one of these methods for making the show available to you works for you we're glad to have you as a part of our show and i am so thankful to our friends at engineered solutions of georgia who makes today's show possible there as well because when it comes to foundation issues waterproofing issues if you're a homeowner this can be one of the biggest threats to the structural integrity of your home which is probably one of your most important financial assets there as well and doing everything you can to take good care of that and make sure you're solving those problems around your home that's just what a good homeowner does and that is what engineered solutions of georgia is all about there too so what they want you to do is be really open-eyed about the signs of trouble around your house and when you see these things i want you to jog your memory oh yeah ba mentioned this and then ba talked about engineered solutions of georgia as a solution for all those things the word solution after all is right there in your net in their name so outside your house like the brick wall perhaps that, that's around your house you, you see those sort of stair step cracks that kind of show up in the brick there could be a sign of an issue uh on the inside of your house kind of the horizontal type cracks that maybe you see in the sheetrock sometimes you see that pop up that could be the sign of an issue obviously if you see a wet spot where water has been or dampness where water is right now or certainly standing water anything like that once again that's a sign that engineered solutions of georgia is a contact you need to make after all they're proud partners of uga it's fun to do business with those that support the dogs and our friends at esog have been doing that for a long time they are also longtime friends of ours here on dog nation daily there as well they've got an entire team of engineers on staff too to help you with your foundation your waterproofing problems plus they've offered great value for you there as well including a fully transferable triple protection warranty on materials installation and design so please give them a call number very easy to remember 678 esog now that's 678 esog now engineered solutions of georgia is a solution for your foundation and waterproofing issues glad to have them as a part of our show here today all right also glad to have connor riley coming up in a moment that's going to be fun to talk some georgia football the latest in the preparations to travel down to jacksonville We'll do that with Connor Riley here coming up in a moment. Prior to that, though, let us go around the doghouse. And it's very interesting to me, something you're starting to see some remnants of online here right now, that 
we're having a little bit of a pre-debate about a debate that we're going to have next week for sure. The first college football playoff rankings come out on October 31st. So for those of us with young kids, talk about a busy night now, trying to follow these playoff rankings and, you know, see what everything is playing out with that, but also enjoy that time with our families, which is obviously very important to so many of us. So that's coming up on the 31st. And I do think it'll be very interesting to see where Georgia lands in all of this. I kind of like being number one. I know there's this thought of, oh, it's rat poison, and who cares about being number one at the beginning? You want to be number one at the end? I get all that, but this is also just fun and entertainment. And I like seeing Georgia ranked number one when these rankings come out, whether it means anything or not. And I definitely dislike when I feel like people are making silly arguments against UGA. We kind of had one of those yesterday for our Golden Shoe. And, you know, listen – if we don't call stuff like that out, who's going to, right? We are the Georgia show, after all. You know, we're the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. So if there's an argument to be made on behalf of Georgia, if we don't make it, no one's going to make it. So we try to do that when possible. And we're already starting to see a little bit of a echo of something we saw a lot last year. The mockery around the idea that Georgia would dare feel disrespected. But the point we've made many times is, is that for Georgia, because of its status as a two-time national champion, all of this is binary. You either believe Georgia is the best or you don't. And when it comes to anybody else, where they're ranked is fine. Two, three, four, eight, nine, 10, 15, top 25, outside the rankings, whatever else. But for Georgia, the only thing that matters is, do you think they're number one or do you not? And if you don't, if you think someone else is better than Georgia – then you are a fair game to be proven wrong at the end of the season the way that George has proven all of its critics wrong at the end of the last two seasons. That's just it. So for Georgia, it's a different definition than it is for many other teams. The definition of disrespect when it comes to Georgia is believing anyone is better because for the last two years, no one has been better. But this is still the kind of thing that, you know, kind of uh, very online types like to argue about on, on Twitter or wherever else. I'll show you an example of this here for a moment. So Jason Kirk is kind of a, I don't know, college ball writerish type, podcast type, one of those guys you sort of see arguing about college football a lot. So he put this out on uh, Twitter yesterday. He says, uh, some fine nobody believes in this talk coming up here soon when Georgia, quote, he says, falls from the number one spot to number three or lower in the initial college football playoff rankings. He says, it doesn't matter, but it's going to be a whole big to-do nonetheless. And then Bill Conley, who's a writer for ESPN, responds to this by saying, I'm actually more interested in the initial college football playoff rankings than I've been in quite a while for this very reason. He says, Georgia has almost no case to be in the top two, and yet it's still going to feel super weird if or when they aren't. So that's an example of what, you know, various folks with, you know, at least some level of following are saying about Georgia here right now and the initial college football playoff rankings that are going to come out. And I respond to this, as I said before, if you want to make the case for someone being better than Georgia right now, by all means do it. But if and when at the end of the year that Georgia go for three and 23 and wins the national championship, then we all who are Georgia fans or who talk about Georgia, we reserve the right to say, once again, there's a whole pile of people who are wrong about UGA the same way they were a year ago. And this is where I've kind of jokingly said that Nolan Smith didn't Georgia no favors last year by saying that he made up the whole idea of people saying that Georgia was going to go seven to five or, you know, whatever else that he said, because while that may have been a fabrication, it is not a fabrication. And almost no one at the beginning of last year thought that Georgia would win the national championship. And seemingly almost anyone 
who, you know, is sort of serious college football writer type, they all had Alabama and Ohio State better than Georgia before the year began. That is one of the things that made the national championship last season so much sweeter. And if Georgia wins it again here this year, we believe that it will. But if it does win it again this year, then people like, you know, you know, excessively online types like uh, these two, you know, arguing about Georgia, you better believe that stuff like that will make it a little bit sweeter because the question we would ask is, who should be number one ranked ahead of Georgia? You know, who has proven so much they deserve to be ahead of Georgia here right now? And I would just say very quickly, it better not be the kind of team where we've jokingly called mighty Michigan in the past, because I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there seems to be some fairly uh, legitimate questions being asked about what Michigan has done to earn some of the wins that it's gotten. So on October 31st, if you're putting a team ahead of Georgia and you put Michigan ahead of Georgia, given the fact that there's like a darn near federal investigation going on of uh, what Michigan's been doing to perhaps earn some of the wins that it's gotten over the last couple of years. Maybe you want to sit this one out for a week or two in terms of deciding to put Michigan ahead of UGA right now, especially given the fact that Michigan's played essentially the same schedule that Georgia's played. And speaking of the schedule, you you can make a big deal about what Georgia hasn't played up until now, but you can't make quite as big a deal about what Georgia's about to play going forward. So, uh, you know, once again, this idea that, oh, Georgia's unproven, as if the last two years haven't happened. But the whole notion of, you know, what they will be by the end of the year is going to be earned in the weeks to come. I love the way that uh, John Stinchcomb said this on our show, you know, yesterday, that they're about to earn that number one ranking by beating up on the lousy, stinking Gators, by what happens against Missouri after that, then Ole Miss, then on the road at Tennessee, concluding with Georgia Tech, and then an appearance in the SEC championship game. Now, while this is fun fodder for debate shows like this, uh, obviously Kirby Smart's unmoved by all of this, even though that uh, Georgia's right now riding a long winning streak, long streak of being ranked number one in the Associated Press poll on their way to being perhaps the second longest tenured number one team in the history of the poll, which is really saying something if it can keep winning over the course of the next few weeks. But as you would imagine for Kirby, they are all about just staying focused on the next thing and not any of this kind of stuff here right now. In fact, that's what Kirby Smart said about those streaks yesterday when he spoke to reporters. Here is Kirby Smart. Don't think about it a lot. I mean, I don't doesn't what consumes me is is how we're going to gain a yard what we're going to do in this situation what we're going to do at practice um i can't speak for every kid on the team but uh, the focus is not on the wins and losses of the games like i've said all the time that that's going to come to an end i've been part of a lot of streaks that's going to come to an end at some point and when it does we'll worry about the next game but i don't think you can be consumed with that thought process or think that way you got to think towards what you can do to help your team win so that's exactly what Kirby Smart should say he's the coach that's his job I however do a different job and I'm a big believer that the conversations we have ought to reflect reality and Georgia after it beats Florida on Saturday should be the number one team in the first college football playoff ranking when it comes on the 31st because that's the reflection of reality Georgia is still the best team in college football until someone proves that it isn't and yeah, of course, it doesn't matter if they're ranked number one or not. But if we're going to do this stuff, we ought to try to you know, lean in the direction of accuracy as much as possible. We certainly should lean in the direction of honesty as much as possible. And the honest, most honest, most accurate reflection of the current state of college football is 
Georgia is still number one. If you want to uh, prove that you're better than Georgia, you've got to pin their you know, shoulders to the mat and get the one, two, three count right there in the center of the ring. But until you beat them, uh, Georgia still belongs on top. And after they beat Florida on Saturday, that's exactly where I expect them to be on October 31st when the first playoff rankings come out. And that is Around the Doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG Today. Now, before we're done, we're going to hear from Kirby Smart one more time on our show because Kirby Smart was asked a question about the future of the Georgia-Florida rivalry in Jacksonville. In the past, Smart has been outspoken about his desire to see this become a home and home. And home. Yesterday, he kind of sidestepped the question and perhaps kind of softened his stance a little bit. And this may sort of sound like the sort of coach-speaky thing that you would expect him to say the week of the game. But I believe there's a, a sense in which his words should perhaps be taken a little bit more seriously for kind of a specific reason. We're going to talk more about that before we're done today. But for now, on everything else happening in Athens, as George gets ready to travel to Jacksonville on Saturday, let's talk to Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Let's bring on Connor Riley. A lot to talk to him about Georgia's preparations for the game on Saturday. But, Connor, before we get more into any of that, I want to kind of pull back here for a moment and look a little bit more big picture. Um, I not only hate Florida, but somehow simultaneously that I also love the Georgia-Florida rivalry. I want this to matter, and I think the rivalry has kind of lost a little bit of the juice here as of late, and I blame Billy Napier for it. I just think that Billy Napier is essentially a, a dish rag. I just don't think he's got any personality whatsoever. You know, Dan Mullen may have been a clown, but clowns at least get attention. And I think that Billy Napier's got a responsibility as the Florida coach to do some of the same kind of pot-stirring stuff that Dan Mullen once did, made him a fun foil for UGA fans. But it made the Georgia-Florida rivalry feel big. It made it, at one point in time, arguably the biggest rivalry in the SEC. I don't believe you'd say that's true here right now. Florida's just very nondescript. They're not terrible. They're just uninteresting. And so I'm hoping that in some form or some fashion, you know, the lousy, stinking Gators, I like to call them, will sort of get their act together and make this feel like a rivalry again here a little bit because we're about to endure a lot of change in the SEC. And if we're not careful – Georgia, Florida may not quite feel the same way uh, moving into a new landscape. If people don't work really hard to make this rivalry fun and interesting, I believe the responsibility on that for now rests with Billy Napier. What do you think of the current state of the Georgia-Florida rivalry? Yeah, I think the word that I most agree with that you used there was just uninteresting with the, the way this Florida program is right now. Um, you know, like, yes, there's a big rebuild going on in the sense that, you know, yes, obviously we know there wasn't a lot of talent left over from the end of the Dan Mullen era, but we've seen other programs have a lot of success in turning things around quickly when coaching changes have been made. And while, yes, Florida is 5-2 and two on the season right now and, you know, had a nice come-from-behind win against South Carolina before going into the off week, uh, it's a Florida team that, you know, like, what do they do really, really well? They, they don't have, I think, really an identity at this point. Uh, I think under Billy Napier right now, it's, hey, look at this future recruiting class that we have, uh, which admittedly is doing very well after landing LJ McCray this past weekend. But, I, again, you can only sell the future for so long. and We're well into his second year there, and there's still really nothing to hang his hat on there. Now, you know, this game on Saturday could be that moment for him. Uh, you know, I, I think if – you know, if if he's going to do it, this would be an excellent year to do so, 
given, you know, Georgia and the timing of this with no Brock Bowers and, you know, some questions about this team. But, again, I think you hit on a lot of really good points there. Since Dan Mullen left, this rivalry has sort of lost its luster a little bit. And I'm too young to remember sort of those, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, sort of the time when Steve Spurrier had been well-established at Florida at that point and had really sort of owned the rivalry. But with the way Kirby Smart approaches this game and what he's done to this rivalry, it does sort of feel like, you know, unless Florida is going to jump up and meet Georgia with where it is and its intensity for this game, it could sort of wane a little bit in terms of how it sort of means, which is a far cry from where it was for most of the last decade, be it, you know, when Mark Rick was the head coach or in the early days of Kirby Smart and Dan Mullen when they were battling against each other. I mean, the other thing here is you touch on a couple of points I want to address here. If a Florida fan's watching or listening to us right now, they may say, hey, our identity is we just money whipped you for L.J. McRae. But the truth is, is they're not even the only school in Florida that's allegedly money whipped Georgia for recruits this year. I mean, and frankly, Georgia fans may still be smarting more from Florida State doing that for K.J. Bolden for a number of reasons than they are for L.J. McRae having, you know, Florida do that to them, you know, for that. So even the whole idea of, you know, we're going to beat you for recruits, we're going to use our big bank account to be able to do that. Like, they're not even the only school in Florida doing that to Georgia right now. Like, not even that necessarily sticks as an identity because they're not the only one trying to occupy, you know, that same identity here right now. Right, and you've got Miami as well who is – you know, approaching recruiting in a similar manner there. So, and look, you know, Florida, you can puff your chest out and say what you want, and I get that. And, again, this is where Florida probably should always be recruiting in the top five. This shouldn't be a big deal, but because of where this program has been for the better part of the last decade, really since Will Muschamp was the program's head coach, they haven't recruited at this level. Georgia still has a better recruiting class than Florida does, and Georgia has the proof of concept that they know what they're doing in terms of developing these players, and you don't have to look around very hard to, to find some recent top five classes to see where, okay, yeah, they, they brought in a lot of talented recruits, but that doesn't necessarily translate to development and wins. And so I do think that, you know, again, yes, one elite recruiting class is great. You have to be able to stack multiple of them, and you have to be able to develop guys because, as anyone knows, not every recruit's going to hit, but if you do a good job, and Georgia has, and this is probably what has separated them in recent years, Yes, they're doing a great job uh, of signing and turning their top-end recruits into big-time guys, but they've also found gems uh, that maybe weren't so highly coveted by other major programs and, and turned those guys into players as well. It, it's a big task for Florida, and I think this Saturday for this program is going to be another very big measuring stick, as it is for Georgia in, in the confines of this 2023 season. Let me move on to uh, this. We talked about the fact that the playoff rankings come out on October 31st, and I think that I've said that, look, a lot of Georgia fans don't care about you know the initial playoff rankings because ultimately they don't matter as much, obviously, as the end does. I still think they're fun. I've always enjoyed this, and I like it when Georgia's number one. I just think it's kind of fun to have them there. And I believe that if Georgia goes out and does to Florida on Saturday, what I believe it's certainly capable of doing, I believe that Georgia will be number one. I think it should be number one. And I'm curious what you think – the playoff committee is going to do and for the purpose of this discussion let's assume that georgia goes out and you know wins against florida by a couple of touchdowns first of all whoever decided to release the first college football playoff rankings on halloween Horrible. needs to be punished and condemned in some like Horrible. like this is just it's a moronic it, it like come on like we're, we're smarter than this first of all these rankings truly do not matter you know five weeks out from the sec championship game 
but now that I've gotten off my pedestal there, I actually don't think Georgia's going to be number one, and I don't necessarily know how much it matters what they do this weekend because I think there are a couple other things that you can you could point to that you know whether it be Michigan and the weekend week out dominance that they've had this season, even though they've played an absolute joke of a schedule. Going to Georgia's isn't a whole lot better. Or you've got a team like, say, in Ohio State, which, you know, again, you know, wasn't the most impressive win over Penn State this weekend, but it is still a nice win. Couple that with Notre Dame. I think they probably have the best resume overall at this point. And, and look, we've seen from before, and this is the most important thing to remember here. This is all driven by ESPN, and you're a much bigger like ESPN conspiracy guy than I am, but when it comes to these playoff rankings and it comes to these playoff situations, they want to generate interest in this. And what's going to generate more interest? Just leaving the team that will at that point won 25 consecutive games at number one, or the potential outcry and whatnot that comes from not having the two-time reigning defending unbeaten champion as the number one team, I think they're going to go with that matter and, you know, sort of either prop up Michigan, Ohio State, or possibly even both and slide Georgia in as that number three team. I think that's all sort of on the table there for them. But if I, you know, if you were asking me to bet straight up, you know, is Georgia number one or is Georgia not, I would probably right now put money on Georgia not being number one. I can listen to your argument for Ohio State. I think from a resume standpoint, having beaten Penn State, Notre Dame, even if those games were pretty unimpressive for Ohio State, that's the kind of thing the committee could kind of lean on. But let me ask you about Michigan here for a moment. And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm trying to be serious. Given the cloud over the Michigan program, can you rank them number one right now? And I don't make a huge deal out of the whole sign-stealing fiasco. I, I do think sign-stealing works. I think that's one of the reasons why teams try so hard to do it, because having access to that information seems to make a difference in terms of how your team plays. Uh, and whether this rise the level of cheating or not, I guess I could listen to smart people debate that. Uh, I'd be more than happy to do so. But right now, it is a cloud hanging over Michigan. More information seems to be coming out of this on a daily basis, including a good bit there yet, you know, yesterday. Is, is Michigan too controversial to rank number one right now because of the questions about how it's obtained some of the easy wins that it's gotten? Yeah, so one, and I just want to be clear, like, I, I agree with you that I think Georgia should be number one, but I don't believe that that is what this committee is going to do because what this what these rankings are always sort of geared towards doing. Uh, two, I might be the wrong person to ask on this because I've grown up a Patriots fan, <laughs> and between Spygate and Deflategate, like, I, I know exactly what Michigan fans are going through, and as someone who, you know, again, has lived through something like this, like, I really just don't don't care all that much about this whole sign-stealing thing. Like, you've seen Georgia this year. They have the big sheet up on uh, on the sideline there, so I think that's a pretty clear sign that they know something is at least going on. And, you know, look, uh, I believe it was LaDainian Tomlinson who said it during uh, the 2007 season, you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And, and, and so, you know, as far as the controversy and thing like that, you know, uh, you know, I think it's good for college football. I think it's good for things for sports in general to have villains. I think, you know, despite Georgia being the sort of new big bad, they're somehow not the big villain in college football. It's that it's that team up north that always seems to lose in the college football playoff semifinal. And you know, I, I understand. And I guess as we learn more about this sign stealing thing, we'll see how it goes there. But I, I don't think they're too you know to, to use a buzzword toxic to put as an one team in the potential college football playoff rankings. The reason they wouldn't be is just because well, as impressive as they have looked, and they have looked absolutely impressive. They've played absolutely nobody to this point in the season. Have you considered, whether it's by coincidence or actually because people are now you know kind of wise to it, what if Michigan starts playing worse? 
what if some of these games that have been blowouts started getting closer? I mean, I feel like that's going to be a really fun conversation, even if it's like totally made for TV. To me, there's something really interesting about Michigan going forward of now that people, air quotes here, sort of know what's going on. If their margins of victory start to come down a little bit, boy, a lot of people who don't like Harbaugh anyway, I just think that creates a real opportunity to have a very hysterical conversation around the Wolverines. I totally get that. I totally see that. Uh, the 2007 Spygate allegations broke in week two against the uh, then San Diego Chargers. The Patriots then won every regular season game for the rest of the season. Uh, and again, it was similar, you know, uh, details might be a little foggy, but it was largely a similar thing of like sign stealing, filming things, you know, being in the stands and things like that. I also see a world where this Michigan team just continues to be who they are in a week in, week out basis because. To their credit, and grant, granted, again, they've played absolutely nobody. They should have won all these games. I mean, Michigan State had more pictures of Hitler on the Jumbotron this past Saturday than points scored. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think it speaks to just sort of where this team, uh, you know, the level of competition that Michigan is playing on a week-in, week-out basis. You know, we're not really going to learn anything about them until the third to last week of the season when they play a Penn State team that, did almost nothing offensively. And then, you know, the last week of the regular season is sort of their Super Bowl when they play an Ohio State team that's probably the one team on their schedule this year that can match up with them from a talent standpoint, at least in the regular season. For whatever reason, I'm like super in on Carson Beck's homecoming on Saturday. I really like the idea of him getting a big start in Jacksonville after waiting such a long time to have this moment. I also think that Carson's incredibly important for Georgia in the upcoming stretch of games. So to have that stretch kind of kick off with what I imagine has to be a pretty special moment for him. He's obviously having a really good season, and he's really pretty entrenched in that Jacksonville kind of sporting culture there, right? You know, you know, really good high school player down there. Uh, still has a lot of ties to the Jacksonville area. I'm kind of excited about Carson getting a chance to start in Jacksonville. Some of these kind of, you know, t- you know things that become big-time media fodder, I don't always kind of get into, but I'm kind of into this. I'm kind of excited about seeing Carson uh, in Jacksonville on Saturday, what, what perhaps that means to him. Uh, how much does that kind of move the needle for you? Yeah, it's certainly like a, a talking point there. Um, I, I think another interesting thing, you know, first time Georgia starting quarterbacks in this rivalry game, I believe since the start of the 21st century, are one in nine. Really? Now, I, I, yeah, the one win was Jake Fromm in 2017. Now, I, I think Carson Beck is a good bit farther along and a good bit more talented as well than a lot of those guys. You know, you think Jacob Eason, freshman in 2016. Aaron Murray is a freshman in 2010. Matt Stafford is a freshman in 2006. You know, some of those, you know, young players and, again, playing against really talented Florida teams, I don't think this 2023 version is quite the same thing there. So I am really interested, and mostly, like, I'm just interested in seeing what this offense and what he looks like without Brock Bowers. Brock is obviously an incredibly talented player, but he's not the only talented player on this offense. And I know you and I have talked at nauseum about, you know, who, who can step up and who can do more for this team. I'm really interested in seeing, you know, how Carson functions without having that obvious go-to guy there. And, yes, getting Ladd McConkey back to full strength certainly helps there. Further integration of Rod Thomas and Dominic Lovett helps. But, you know, Georgia yesterday, and I wrote about this in my story this morning, has sort of downplayed somewhat, you know, the aspect of, of, of Carson and what you learn about him in a potential game like this. I'm interested, you know, there was a lot of positive talk about him after that Kentucky game. 
I'm very interested in seeing sort of how Carson plays and then what the chatter about Beck is following this game against Florida. And the fact that it is in Jacksonville, it is a homecoming uh, for him, I think makes it all the more interesting. Well, can I say something totally obnoxious here for a moment? It's not Im- It's not impossible that Carson Beck could finish this season being viewed as college football's best quarterback. So I, I, I think, you know, you're probably counting on Washington to lose some games, and they certainly didn't look very good there, given how Michael Penix has played for the most part this season there. Uh, Caleb Williams is out of that discussion now there as well. I mean, you got, you got Sam Ocko who wants uh, Caleb to sit out the rest of the year, so he may be disqualified from the discussion if he sits out, and you're right. You know, it wasn't a great day for Penix on uh, this past Saturday, and I'm not saying it's likely. It's obviously not likely, but given the struggles of McCord, you know, given, you know, you know whatever J.J. McCarthy is, Connor, I don't believe it's impossible. No, and I'll go one step further. I'm not shocked if I'm trying to find a flight to New York the – second week of December for, you know, Carson Beck at the Heisman Trophy Ceremony. I believe he's got like plus 3,000 odds, as I saw this morning. But I think without Brock Bowers, he's going to miss at least the next two to three games, possibly even more. And the fact that Georgia does have big games, that game against Missouri next week is going to, be, I think, be sneaky big. You've got that Ole Miss game. You've got the Tennessee game. Those are big opportunities. And then if he follows all that up and plays well and, let's say, hypothetically leads Georgia to a win – over either Alabama in the SEC championship game or LSU and Jaden Daniels, who I think right now might have my vote for the Heisman Trophy. If he does that, he's going to have a really compelling case, and I actually think because of the fact that he doesn't have Brock Grant, he's got to play well, and Georgia has to win these games. That, that, that cannot be understated here. Like There is a runway here for Carson where if he plays like he did against Kentucky a few more times this season – you know, we're really talking about him, you know, not just among, like, the hipster Georgia fans out there. This guy's really good. It's sort of a nationally known thing, just how good Carson Beck is. I think it's a fun, fun thing to watch in the weeks to come. And, obviously, if you're a Georgia fan, you certainly hope that a good play uh, really gets revved up here in the uh, stretch that matters more than any other for the dogs here during this regular season. Connor, fascinating stuff. Look forward to reading a whole lot more from you there at uh, DogNation.com. And, of course, having you back here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia very soon there as well. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, a couple of things here real quick. First of all, I promise you, even though I kind of veer in the direction of hyping up Carson right there, we had to do some massive spin control to keep from having the finger of blame pointed directly at us for the whole, like, Brocktober fiasco. Uh, So we will not be doing Carson back, like, Heisman stuff. (laughs) If, if this happens, we're going to let it happen. We are not going to try to be on the front of that wagon because uh, some of y'all are, feel like we kind of we maybe put some bad cosmic energy in the air for the whole Brocktober deal and what eventually resulted in an injury for Brock Bowers. So we'll let Connor do that and we'll you know let that kind of stuff play out. We will be more than happy to amplify other people if they move in that direction. We probably need to sit that one out just given the fact that we sort of took the L on Brocktober a couple of weeks ago. So that's one thing you don't have to worry about. You know, we won't we won't get too out in front of anything like that for those of you that still have a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth about Brocktober. Here's the other thing too. We were talking about the status of the Georgia Florida rivalry. What's weird when you are as good as Georgia has been is nobody wants to be your rivalry your rival anymore. You know, at one point in time we sort of thought that South Carolina thought of Georgia as its biggest SEC rival. But suddenly with Georgia winning, you know, back-to-back national championships, 
when South Carolina had to, uh, the opportunity to weigh in about what it wanted permanent opponents to be in the future of a possible nine-team you know, league schedule, three permanent opponents, we're told that South Carolina didn't want to play Georgia every year anymore. You know, it used to be, oh, you're our biggest SEC rival. And after Georgia wins a couple national championships, all of a sudden, now we're not even rivals at all. Y'all, y'all are over there doing your thing. We're over here doing our thing. Yeah, we'll play, but we're not rivals. We're not, we're not worried about that anymore. That, that Georgia has been so good, it's essentially ended the idea of South Carolina thinking of Georgia as a rival. All of a sudden, that's not very fun anymore. And the truth is, is Auburn's kind of the same way. You know, uh, I don't know that Auburn's a vote right now for a, a nine-game conference slate. You had Hugh Freeze the other day talking about, boy, it's a real shame this Georgia-Auburn rivalry not going to be played every year anymore. And a lot of folks are like, wait, it's not? Are you sure about that? Oh, it's a real shame. Georgia's going to go its way. We're going to go our way. We'll see them sometimes, but not every year anymore. It sort of seems like Auburn doesn't want to be Georgia's rival anymore either. They've already, you know, kind of begged off the game in November. Now they're just sort of begging off the schedule altogether. But Florida does not have that luxury because in any world in which the SEC is moving, eight-game permanent slate, nine-game slate eventually if it, that happens, Georgia will always play Florida. So they don't have the luxury of pretending not to be Georgia's rival. They are Georgia's rival in the SEC. And, you know, yes, they've got in-state rivals the same way that Georgia does and everything else. But Georgia-Florida is still the, the, the main SEC rivalry for Florida. They don't have the luxury of doing what Auburn has done or what South Carolina has done, pretending they're not really rivals. They don't have the luxury of doing that. Uh, so we'll see what the nature of this rivalry kind of becomes in future years there on that. And let's also get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. One of the most exciting things for me about this upcoming year is all the brand new offerings on the way from our friends at Royal Caribbean. You've heard me talk so much about uh, Icon of the Seas, but last night we were having dinner, and sometimes when our family has dinner, we like to think back on vacations that we've had or maybe trips that we want to take. It's sort of a fun thing to do when you're just having dinner with your family, right? Kind of think about fun stuff. And my son was saying to me last night, he goes, Daddy, I'd really like to be on Utopia of the Seas. That's sort of his way, I think, of dropping a hint of, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could do that some point in time? Uh, and yeah, I think it would. And one of the things I love about Utopia of the Seas, it's the brand new Oasis class ship. It'll be the newest ship in the fleet for Royal Caribbean when it debuts in July of 2024. Uh, it's going to be uh, going out of Port Canaveral, those short three, four night sailings, brand new Oasis class ship from Port Canaveral, closest port to us. It's the port that we kind of consider our home port on those three and four night sailings. Just a really fun, super convenient way to enjoy the best of royal caribbean so my family's already talking about it my son's already hoping we can have a uh, a, a trip on board uh utopia of the seas and so if you want to have those same kind of conversation with your family reach out to jessica slater wonderful travel agent who can tell you more about this call her 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 or email her jslater at dreamvacations.com that's jslater at dreamvacations.com all right Let's go through some cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean stuff here for a moment. So yesterday, we had a game time announcement for Georgia-Missouri. And Georgia-Missouri is going to be 3.30 p.m. on CBS. So it didn't get the primetime slate. At one point in time, we kind of wondered, maybe it does, just given Missouri playing pretty good football. Uh, Georgia's obviously the uh, you know undefeated number one ranked team. But a lot of respect right now for Georgia-Missouri. That's the same day as Alabama-LSU. So CBS gets to roll through with what we think is going to be an unbeaten Georgia against a one-loss Missouri. And then that night for the SEC West, Alabama and LSU, as it so customarily uh, has been. So if you want to think about the big stretch for Georgia, just keep this in mind. Georgia is likely to play at least three of its next four games at 330 CBS. 
Florida this Saturday, Missouri the following Saturday. It's already been somewhat leaked that Georgia-Tennessee is likely to be 3.30. We don't know what game time will be for Georgia Ole Miss as of yet. But to give you an idea of just how big the next stretch of games is coming up for Georgia against a lot of ranked opponents, the fact that you've already gotten that nod, 3.30 CBS for Georgia-Missouri, gives you an idea of the stakes that are on the way there. Now, speaking of that kind of part of the SEC up there near the Ozark Mountains, the battle line rival to uh, Missouri, Arkansas, in the news. We told you yesterday about Dan Enos, the offensive coordinator, being fired. And yesterday, some very pointed remarks from Sam Pittman being asked about his status and asked about all that kind of stuff and really kind of laying it out in very clear terms that he's not worried about his buyout. He wants to win games. And when you see the forceful way in which he speaks out, the matter-of-fact, no-nonsense belief that, of course, in the SEC you've got to win, and in Arkansas that's what they're still trying to do, it is just really a reminder of how much you just like Pittman. I mean, I don't just like Sam Pittman because he was a good offensive line coach here, helped Georgia kind of get the program started under Kirby Smart. My my rooting interest in Pittman goes beyond just the fact that he was a good dude while he was at Georgia. I want coaches to be like this. Pittman kind of comes across as sort of a regular guy type vibe. He's got kind of a relaxed persona. You like that from a coach, I think, at least I do. But he also just seems to be really good at acknowledging the nature of the business and just the real stakes. There's not a lot of put on, not a lot of false airs when it comes to Pittman and if he could win enough games to stay employed I would certainly be very happy about that but you also understand the current state of the SEC where this league is very competitive as it is and it's about to get even tougher Oklahoma and Texas two teams that both have playoff aspirations will be in this league next year and everybody's schedule is getting tougher because of that and there are going to be a lot of programs that I believe rethink their coaching situation uh because of the arrival of these two new teams and Arkansas I believe is one of them we've said that Mississippi State will be another you kind of wonder Arnett beating Arkansas this past week does that do anything to to help him out there I I, I don't know uh perhaps that it could but probably Mississippi State would be wise to think about its long-term future as well that we think it could really be and I don't take pleasure in saying this but it could really be a bit of a bloodletting in the SEC here this offseason because everybody's going to be ready to go because business truly is about to pick up when you start talking about an expanded league there next year now I mentioned Texas we'll finish with this one of the big stories coming out this past weekend the injury to Quinn Ewers and Ewers going to be sidelined here now for a little bit and the backup quarterback, many of you are aware of this, is not Arch Manning, it's Malik Murphy. Murphy was a guy who had a very good spring, very impressive spring game, and Murphy's going to get his shot now as the Texas starter. Now, there's been some chatter about Arch Manning. It sounds like Manning is ready and you know, kind of waiting the wings here. You know, If somehow Murphy doesn't match in real games, what he sort of seemed to match in terms of practice performance, what we saw in the spring game, things like that. But there are a lot of people who like Murphy a lot. So one way or another, it's no Quinn Ewers for the next few weeks at least for Texas. Got a game coming up against Kansas State. Be semi-tough. You know, Texas obviously struggled to beat Houston this past Saturday. So uh, Texas was a preseason pick for us to make the college football playoff. For the most part this year, they've sort of looked like that. Uh, obviously beating Alabama, uh, losing to Oklahoma. I think they're still very much alive for the playoff, but they're going to have to weather their storm now without Quinn Ewers. And it's a reminder that if somehow Malik Murphy doesn't quite play well, they've still got the Arch Manning button they can push. We'll see if they do. But it's also a reminder for Georgia as well and any other team that your backup quarterback matters and your overall quarterback depth in your program, that matters as well. Texas is glad it's got 
both Murphy and Manning, and perhaps before the year's done, it needs to use all three, Ewers, Murphy, and Manning. And at some point in time, Georgia may unfortunately be uh, happy to have the the quarterback depth it also has there as well. So a big playoff contender without a big-time quarterback, Quinn Ewers dealing with an injury, will make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And, of course, a moment ago I mentioned – Alabama LSU playing for the SEC West in a roundabout way. Georgia Missouri could be for the battle in the SEC East, and these two division winners will eventually clash in Atlanta for the final time. The SEC championship pitting division winners because the divisions are going away after this season. Many of you are already kind of making your plans to attend the SEC championship game in December, and as you're making those travel plans, I want you to keep my friends Discover Dunwoody in mind because they are all about touting the fun things going on in the Dunwoody area, which is actually right here where our Dog Nation uh, World Headquarters studios are located. And you know by now that if you're coming into Atlanta, you're looking for that great hotel experience that perhaps gets you out of the hustle and bustle of like a Buckhead or a downtown. You want something that's safe, family-friendly, but also really enjoyable. Here in Dunwoody, that's exactly what you get. A couple of thousand different hotel rooms to choose from. That means you can get really good prices, but also couple of hundred restaurants whether you want fine dining or something a little bit trendier or something more quick service whatever all kinds of amazing restaurant options there as well and more than 300 shopping options there too because as you head towards the holiday season kind of pairing that football road trip with a chance to do some christmas shopping some things like that that's really good and really really fun so please check them out online it's discoveredunwoody.com slash dog nation that's discoveredunwoody.com slash dog nation of course the dunwoody area in addition to having all those great shopping and hotel and dining options also nestled right between two great marta stations there as well to get you to the airport or the stadium on game day, or Buckhead if you want to go into there, or whatever else, uh, right here in Dunwoody. So much to offer. DiscoverDunwoody.com slash DogNation for more on that. Now, speaking of traveling, a lot of Georgia fans getting ready to travel on Saturday back to Jacksonville for the cocktail party. And it has been wondered now for a while, what does the future of this look like? You know, is Georgia, Florida going to remain in Jacksonville? At one point in time, I was fairly confident the answer to that question was probably no. I was fairly certain that Georgia, Florida, in some way, somehow, was likely to end its run there in Jacksonville. And as we said before the season began, boy, it seemed like pretty quick the the leaves of change or the winds of change kind of started blowing in a opposite direction. All of a sudden, it seemed like there was more life to it. You were you know forced to consider exactly how much money both Georgia and Florida were making from this. The fact that that's you know a lot less money coming into the coffers if you started playing a home game road game situation Kirby Smart's clearly been you know you know very open about his desire to have the home and home but you were confronted with the idea that boy Jacksonville really gives both these schools a lot of money and with a stadium renovation on tap in the city of Jacksonville there as well the potential perhaps to make even more money in the future from having this game there uh in the uh, Florida first coast area and keep the world's largest outdoor cocktail party in place with a renovated stadium and all the other stuff that might be going on with that so yesterday Kirby Smart was asked again about Georgia Florida and Jacksonville and his belief in all of this and Smart kind of sidesteps this and sort of softens at least publicly here his stance on the game being changed being moved to a home and home he's been open about this in the past but a little bit different tone on that yesterday let me let you hear what Kirby Smart said about that yesterday more focused on the game than the venue where it's played don't really even think about it anymore. I mean, we, we are where we are, uh, and I don't 
I, that really has not even crossed my mind besides the offseason uh, when I get asked about it. I'm a lot more concerned with how we play uh, than where we play. So in one respect, that may just sort of seem like for Kirby Smart that desire to keep the attention where it needs to be on the game that's about to be played, and perhaps that's all that it is. However, I also have to kind of wonder, is Georgia right now confronting the reality that every dollar you can get matters? In other words, in a perfect world, if you could do whatever you wanted, okay, well, you'll turn down the money that Jacksonville gives you because you're going to come home and home, and that helps you with recruiting and helps you give fans a big-time game day environment. Then in a perfect world, you would do whatever you wanted to do, and that might be moving the game home and home. Clearly, that's what Kirby Smart wants. But the world's not perfect. Uh, the world is 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 not always exactly as you wish that it wish that it was and reality has to be confronted we talked yesterday the reality is that the nil prices for the very best recruits that money is going up and up and up and georgia wants to stay competitive in all of this and so it's going to push some of its big donors to be giving money to the nil funds so that georgia can remain competitive in these very you know uh big time money uh negotiations that are going on for top recruits well as that happens booster money moving into the nil space it's not like you know there's just some money tree out there as your parents told you when you're growing up there's no money tree just so pluck this stuff off of now the government can print as much as they want but for the rest of us we're sort of you know we're sort of stuck with kind of a finite supply here so if you give it one thing you don't have it to give to something else so all of a sudden now maybe the realization hits you that hey if you've got these extra millions coming into the athletic department coffers at a time in which a lot of other donors may be giving less to the athletic department overall because they're being asked to give more in the NIL space, that you're not in a position to be able to turn any of that down. So perhaps what Smart said yesterday is not just a sort of a coach-speaky way of saying, I don't want to talk about politics right now, about where this game should be played. I want to keep the attention on who we're playing and the game that's going to take place. Maybe all that was is just sort of the typical coach-speak, or perhaps it is a little bit of a reflection that because of the new landscape in college athletics of everybody trying to chase down and get every dollar they can have, the value of this game in Jacksonville, uh, perhaps one of those things that kind of differentiates George in a positive way. I'll close by saying this. At one point in time, one of the things that Kirby Smart used to argue is, you don't see Alabama and LSU playing their biggest game on a neutral side. They play it home and home. But now you're left to conclude, well, maybe that's Alabama and LSU's problem because all of a sudden the future when every million or a couple of million or a handful of millions of dollars you can get your hands on when all of a sudden that's to your benefit because that's money that you don't have to raise that somebody else has to raise all of a sudden maybe instead of georgia looking longingly at uh, alabama and lsu playing their big rivalry game in a home and home basis all of a sudden those other sec teams may be like boy i wish we were like georgia who had this you know easy handful of millions of dollars that just comes rolling in for playing a regular regular season game all of a sudden, the Jacksonville thing may have actually kind of twisted and turned its way back around and become a little bit of a benefit to UGA in the future when raising money is going to be such a challenge with all the money required in the NIL space. At least something to consider Kirby Smart weighing in on that yesterday. And speaking of the lousy stinking Gators, it is an argument we've been making for a long time around here that it's the rivalry game for Georgia that matters more than any other. And one of the things that I love is the ways in which that so many of you have kind of bought into that as an idea. You believe that yourself, and you're out there saying and preaching it on a regular basis yourself. In fact, for our golden shoe today, I saw Bubby Dean share this on Twitter. Bubby's a great Georgia fan, a good guy, and he was kind of having an exchange back and forth with a couple of other UGA fans. 
And in the middle of that discussion, Bubby says, as Dog Nation Daily has always said, quote, a good Georgia fan is a gator hater, first and foremost. He gives the perfect usage of the hashtag there for Gator Hater. He also gives you hashtag Go Dogs, hashtag Beat Florida, hashtag Dogs on Top, hashtag Back to Back, hashtag Better Never Rest, Dogs 23 Pete, and then hashtag Go for Three and 23. Bubby, you're a good man and a well-deserving Golden Shoe winner here today. And by the way, Gator Hater Countdown. We're just four days away from the cocktail party. Can't wait for that. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia.